Hello and welcome to episode 314 of the Creighton Crowbar. It is the 5th of March 2020. My name is Chris Thurston and tonight I'm joined in my living room by Alex Wiltshire. Hi. What a living room. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. I furnished it myself. (laughs) And you're enjoying the fruits of those furnishings as we do maybe our first ever pod on sofas. This is the most comfortable pod I've had. We've done, obviously, we've done... Yeah, I just realised when I said that, the several video recordings of this recording (laughs) podcast on sofas. Uh, So good job, me. Starting as we mean to go on. So, um, uh, Marsh is away, Tom Senior is away, uh, Pip is playing Sea of Thieves right now. She's meant to be here. She's meant to be here. (laughs) Well, we're going to check in with a, a nautical update from Pip, probably midway through this pod, you'll know when it happens. Um, but off the top of the, off the top of the dial, I wanted to say that I'm aware that there's going to be a little bit of a dip in audio quality this episode as we go to the slightly less robust home setup that we have in, in, in our house rather than the lovely great big whopping great microphones that live with Marsh. Their coils take up most of Marsh's house. Mm, their tendrils burrowing through the walls, grasping, always grasping. Uh, that's actually pertinent to my interests this week, but we won't jump ahead <laughs> straight away. Um, the, uh, uh, yeah, so nonetheless, very much aware. Hopefully, uh, you won't notice as we enjoy a slightly more chilled out. Chill cast. Chill cast. Just, just, you know, if you thought it takes a medium. Let's take that all the way to mango and lime. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think anybody ever says that everyone said chill cast in related to a podcast? I think that, like, that must be like a kind of heat sink, surely. <laughs> you should, can't you get a cooler master chill cast? <laughs> Holy shit, if you can't. Tuned for streaming. If you can't, I think that we might go into branding, you and I. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, we both have some experience as marketers. This is... This is where we live. Um, so obviously the last couple of weeks in the games industry have been, you know, fairly tumultuous, I think, given, mm. you know, I mean, given that we've been maybe, or I have been, I will, will say, sort of, uh, lazily kicking the can of is there any news down the road every single episode since this year began. Um, obviously recently with the cancellation of GDC or the, the postponement, but really what feels like cancellation of GDC and, and the, the, the poll that, uh, COVID casts over every live games event that's coming up. Yeah. You know, PAX East kind of slipped in just past it, but people are worried about it uh, for a very good reason and every company's having to react to it. Um, one thing that sort of struck me over the last couple of weeks, um, kind of despite that, and, and hopefully in a way that maybe gives heart to people who've been had uh, in these events to swallow the cost of cancelled GDC trips and things, is it has suddenly seemed to be quite a vibrant time for games being announced, games being revealed for the first time, and, and at least from my point of view, I'd be interested to know if you felt the same, Alex, like a year that was feeling a little quiet and a bit sort of like, mm, what are we actually going to do and talk about this year? Now has stuff coming. in it. Springtime's coming. Yeah. The uh, the first thawing press releases about Brutus <laughs> bloom in my inbox. I was uh, I was delighted to see Baldur's Gate footage. Yeah. And water. What a what a video! Like this, this is the um, this is the demo that um, Larian performed at PAX last mm. week, where everything went wrong and the game looks fucking marvelous for it. I'm really impressed with, and so does Swen actually. Like the, the head of the um, studio, yeah. like he's he rolled with them really well. I, I do. I should I should add by way of uh, 
uh, caveat, obviously, I think attending those demos and working on that game is friend of pod. That's true. Adam Smith, mm. uh, former of, formerly of RPS and, yeah. and good pal. And um, senior and writer on that game. Yeah. And so it's an absolute delight to see, you know, I, I remember having a chat with him at EGX after party or something when he, he sort of said that's what he was, well, he said he was after Larian. I had no idea what that meant. And this is such a rad talk yeah. about. He's doing like, he did interviews yeah. as well. I read yeah. an interview with him and thought, this is, this is weird. <laughs> yeah, I got interviewed for the first time recently. Did you? Yeah. Was I was that? interviewed by Edge. Oh, really? Of yeah. course you were. Yes. <laughs> the circle is complete. <laughs> yeah. I can now vanish. The obelisk has regarded me. I, <laughs> once it siphoned words from me. And now I have regurgitated them back into it. And uh, having done so, um, it, can no longer, it can no longer... <laughs> Hurt me? I don't know. Uh, well, I think it could more it could, likely to hurt. That thing you now. falls over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you wait until you're, you're seven out of ten. Oh, mate, <laughs> I'd uh, be delighted. Um, but nonetheless, yeah, Bell's Gate Three is actually that was that was I think maybe the beginning of this new new optimism for me was was going. Oh man, uh, I I really want this game. So if you haven't seen the videos, do watch them. Maybe we don't have to pick them part piece by piece, but it's. It was such a good marriage of, um, what, what people, you know, what you kind of, the slightly more down to earth things you'd expect from a, uh, Forgotten Realms game, you know, versus the, the outright kind of Discworldy wackiness of Divinity. Yeah. But with like all of Divinity's, ac- you know, systemic wackiness, yeah. like completely intact. Yeah. There's a, there's a moment, I, I very much enjoyed the moment in it where, where Sven got his character to, who, who were on the brink of dying, like things were not going well. And he was, he is both of his characters were sort of trying to go backwards and was getting many hits they could. And they threw his shoes at, <laughs> at, a, at a bad skull or something, ghost thing. I don't know what it was. Anyway, he just threw his shoes. That worked. And then everything went really wrong because he misclicked and he dropped the shoes or something. I don't know what it was. It was wonderful, like, but it, it was, yeah, like, it had the, that balance of D&D sort of-ness and craziness is, is exactly, I was surprised by it. I thought it would go more kind of stayed mm. than it would. I thought, I thought that Larian would have to kind of tamp back on Larian-ness, but it hasn't at all. And, yeah, as you said, like, you said exactly, I don't know why I'm saying this, because all I'm doing is saying what you did in more words. <laughs> you like the extended dialogue options. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I didn't see. It. I didn't actually watch much of the the dialogue in it. What's the what's the um? um it, it, it's quite a sort of upbeat and and playful. Although I think one thing that's notable is that like, Balsgate one and two are also pretty kind of bouncy fantasy romps for yeah. the most part. There are characters people remember, but like, well, one of the characters people remember the most is a man who like is accompanied by his hamster and screams about it all the time. So you know, there's there's room for kind of you know Larry and E kind of silliness in there but I think that you know I don't know it just seemed seemed good like wanna wanna do play it thanks good um good sort of tentacle beasts from extra planar space which is a direction I would like more fantasy worlds to go in and that's a good use of D&D like uh, it would be disappointing I think if it was still rel- well not still but if it was sticking with kind of relatively vanilla Forgotten Realms stuff like the 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 same couple of levels of fighting kobolds that every game in that setting mm-hmm. does including most, most tabletop games whereas I think the real strength of that setting now is how mad it is 
and, and, or how mad it can be. And like, I mean, I guess what I'm saying slowly is that someone should make a Spelljammer game. Um, just cause, you know, it, it, now is the time to embrace the, the really weird ends of that IP rather than sort of wallow around in its most derivative parts. But it's good that they're going with that. Just liked it a great deal. Yeah. What else is going on? The other, the other one, the other thing, what we did see more of, uh, was Alex. Me. Hmm. Half-Life Alex. And the game. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> it's the worst joke. Oh, it's just going to keep going. But yeah. Yeah. So that looks hot. You could put a hat on. I am... Um, I was debating whether to reveal this, but I was, I was meant to go to America to play that game last week. By now, I should have played that game, but I was unable to get into the country, not because of COVID, but because of my stupid going into country skills. And I was <laughs> sent back on the plane, and I was meant to stay be at the, the Valve Studio for... For for the week, most most almost the entire week, and I was meant to play the entire game and interview all the people, and I didn't. So that was a bit of speed. It was very bitter speed. It was bitter speed to watch the video and just see what I missed because it looked looks so good. You will have an opportunity to play it. Yeah, I like the hat thing. Could be you know could be a cheap thing, but it's a good thing. That you can put a hat on. You can put a hat on, and the and the things barnacles eat the hat. That's good. Yeah, just that. I mean, you know, that's the kind of epoch-shaking developments we want from Valve Software. And what about that shotgun? It's nice. It, it could pop. It could really pop. <laughs> yeah, no, it looks great. I did I did find that it, it looks great, and it also looks like a kind of sort of synergy, escalation, polish of a whole bunch of FPS mechanics you've kind of seen in VR, just done better, right? Yeah. Like, there have been games that have done the leaning around stuff very visceral gunfights. Like I was looking at it thinking this is this looks amazing. And also I don't know, maybe I think maybe my brain kicked into the I'm gonna start explaining to myself why I'm not excited about it. That's yeah, see, to okay. Like, yeah. To try and avoid the sort of the question of the expense, right? Like there's the the setup, uh, the rest of it, the realist the the realistic odds of me actually being in a situation to to play it. Building but the extension to put the index in. Yeah, yeah. I think well, the ceilings in this room are quite high. Uh, true. Mm. You wouldn't better use the room again, though. Like, it would only be the, the Alex room. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you can stay here if you like. There was... <laughs> the, um, uh, I think that... Sort of, I, I totally agree that, like, lots about Alex is just sort of VR things that you've seen before, but, you know, really well... Apparently very well ex- executed. But I think that it transcended it for me because in every situation... There was some sort of thing to explore. There was something to do. So there was a, a one of the gunfights in one of the, I think there were three videos. In one of the videos, there's a gunfight where the player zips over to a car, leans around the car and pulls the car door open mm. to act as, act as, um, cover. And that was like, that's a really emergent, naturalistic part of the environment, which was, uh, I'm just hoping that you know, like you don't get that isn't tutorialized. I just hope that it's something. Yeah. What I hope is that all of the little things, little details in there, are something that happened in that environment, and it just kind of came from that rather than here's your feature. Here's yeah, the feature right. You don't that want the you card door tutorial, yeah. right? Like, yeah. yeah, that that would suck. Yeah, because it's promised from all of the kind of brushing things off shelves and yeah. like rummaging 
fundamentally a, a game about VR rummaging. Yeah, VR rummaging. That you want that to be just related to the environment themselves, right? Like, and that too, because that's to be to be fair. That is sort of the tr- the great trick of Half Life Two, yeah, 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 which is that you know as soon as you've got the gravity gun, the game is more or less done giving you like substantial changes to your toolkit. But every level feels different because the context in which you use that toolkit exactly. changes completely, yeah. and so um, and that's very powerful. It's why it's why it's so effective. I think is you're not having to learn a new mechanic. Well, no, sorry, wrong. You're not having to learn a new tool, which is how a lot of games subsequently try to approach this. Right, like you, you know, you've now got the boost jump or something, so you can approach this level. It feels different. It's 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 all told to you visually, and that roots you in the world a lot more because yeah. you the world is evolving around you. You're not yeah. changing yeah. that much, and I think there's a that's potentially great for VR because the whole purpose of VR is you want to reach out and mess with stuff and solve problems kind of organically and throw things at people, throw your shoes at people, throw your hat at people. Yeah, I mean, like, and I think that yeah, the, the thing that Half Life Two did was it did that rooted in the environment, but it was you know. There was quiet intentionality behind it. It was designed like each thing in the environment was there for a purpose that you could use or not. Like, but it was there, and yeah. you could play the game again, and maybe you'll notice this time. That's what I'm hoping from Alex, and that's like from those videos. I think that that could be there. Mm-hmm. That's what it would need to do, though, because that's what it that's what VR games need to do to transcend VR. You know? Yeah. Oh man. Making me want an index, but that's a thousand <laughs> pounds, and you might not be able to get hold of one. Although they're meant to be shipping a new batch in, yeah, thoughtfully in time for the game launch. Well, it's it's the it's the device of our age. As long as you don't share it with people, <sighs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> VR, maybe you know, is VR good because you can vanish into a world? at home and not leave or is it bad because it's literally a sponge on your face <laughs> should have those uh, those like little, little kind of when you go to an opticians you know they have that little stack of paper that you put your head against yeah and you peel off the top one top mm. yeah Ugh. yeah I definitely wouldn't go somewhere to, to play it honestly that you know especially not in covid land exactly exactly <laughs> good um one thing i wanted to mention because i was going to mention it last week and i forgot which is telling um last week Valve did release a game uh, uh they released those underlords it came out of early oh, access oh shit and it's actually right. out out and and so i thought about talking about last week but i've only played a couple of hours of it and honestly like i still prefer teamfight tactics um so there's that. Did you play much of Vendalords when it first came went into early access? Yes, I did. Yeah, um, I played a lot of it initially. It was, it, it was my sort of oh, I actually quite like Auto Chess. I appreciate we talked about Auto Chess a lot on the pod, but what is really striking about it is um, it, it it got quite so I, I I missed a big period in its life, like you know, as it was in early access. So I was only assessing it as a kind of one point zero product. So I'm getting businessy. I need to, I need to reach across these sofas and slap me every time I talk about, uh, if I say the word SKU, just yeah. one square punch to the nose, we'll, we'll sort, sort that out. Um, but it was kind of interesting, um, because it feels very different. Like it, it sort of realized its theme and the, the shorthand version of what it's trying to do as a free to play game is solve 
every complaint people had about Artifact at the same time. So, you know, Battle Pass Day 1, loads of things to collect, you got it. Shitloads of customization and, and things to tinker with, yep. Uh, like, loads of progression stuff that stems from things Dota 2 are experimenting with. Like, it feels like the... It's super, it's still super interesting to me because I loved Artifact so much and I'm still angry and disappointed mm-hmm. by the fact that it didn't work. Not by the, the, the mistakes that Valve made, although I agree that they did make some, or by the response of players. Just the fact that this sort of thing turned out to be too beautiful to live. But what's interesting about it is in fixing it, they haven't gone to, I don't know, the kind of, the, the drab realities of things a free to play game must have, you know, harvested from other games. They've gone to the mechanics that they invented because Dota, the battle passes came from Dota and then mm-hmm. Fortnite popularized mm-hmm. them. Like, um, and similarly Dota for years as part of its battle passes has had these like either like sort of mini games or like map or maze exploration games where there are functionally achievements tied together in a web that you navigate by completing the next achievement and by getting to the next node and progressing through these sort of maps, you unlock rewards and, you know, you achieve things. It's a way of structuring your progress to an otherwise open-ended competitive game. And it's got that as well. And it's all tied together into this theme where you are an aspiring... It's got quite a funny intro cutscene, some good Valve humour, where the sort of the criminal matriarch of this fantasy city has been murdered and... You are an underlord, like an aspiring gang boss leader trying to take over the mean streets through this, the medium of like, you know, turn-based auto battle gang war, which is actually a better theme for auto battlers than most because it means both gangs sort of walk in from opposite alleys, square off like the sharks and the jets. Ah, oh, do they? Yeah. Well, like, so it's because it was always set on kind of streety looking things. Yeah. And now you yeah. can do weird shit. Like you pick what your street, your street looks like and mine's a little park, you know, whatever. And then there are nodes on that that you can click to customize and like drop items into. Mm-hmm. So like, and those items are like, you know, on a hearthstone board, like the clickable little yeah. doohickeys, <gasps> they're them, but Ooh. you pick which ones Ooh, you want and yes. you assemble them on your own board. It's like, they're fucking good that's, at this shit. That's nice. Like, that's clever. And because artifact did not have enough of that. Like everything in artifact looked like you should better click on it. Mm. And only a couple of it yeah. did. It was gorgeously animated, yeah. but no, you just want a little statue of a monkey you can click and it goes, Oh, <laughs> like that's that's what the people want and they've given it to them and um and the other and the other side of it is this so you can play random games and things but you also play this like game where you're taking over territory in the city and you each of the underlords is actually a character in the game and you, you know the effects play stuff in the game and as you go to from node to node on the city map you'll either be asked to do a battle against the ai where you're given um, it's, it's got a way better onboarding for this genre, I think, than any other game in it now. Because you're given, like, a budget to spend on characters. Oh, really? And you have to win two out of three games on against the AI. Huh. But it doesn't have the round-by-round saving money stuff. It just lets you pick, take the characters, make a formation. You've got a fixed budget to spend. Spend it however you want. And then try and win two rounds out of three kind of thing. Yeah, because the because I thought that the the tutorial in the early access version was uh, was pretty good. Like it got mm. me in, you know. But, so now yeah, it's got that, nice. and the other thing it has is puzzle maps, puzzle missions, where um, it, it tends to be like um, when the it'll be a fight that's set up in a really kind of extreme way, and you have a, a, a maybe a much tighter budget, and you've got one round to win it with you know 
access to a limited pool of heroes. And maybe you have some choice in what kinds of heroes you want. So it'll be something like the enemy team is entirely archers and they're behind many, many, many layers of destructible walls. It's kind of classic kind of puzzle bobble kind of stuff where it's like, not puzzle bobble, but you know what I mean? Like there's a tactics games where it's like, do this in one shot, yeah. solve this combat puzzle. Yeah. Um, and then the other things will be play a game as this character and meet this condition. And that'll be an actual normal multiplayer game. And it's pretty good. Like I prefer hexes. And so I, I you know, I, I to, to grid stuff, but like I was impressed by how much it's changed and what a kind of complete feeling mm. thing it is. Uh, particularly because I think it, it, it slipped under the radar a bit. Like, yeah, I didn't see anything very much about it this like, week. Uh, not about like this, the scope of what they've changed about yeah, it. Like, yeah. It's got voice acting. Because I don't know when that came and... in, whether that was introduced at all during early yeah, access. The last time know. I played it was probably around Christmas time or maybe before that. Yeah. And... But I would say if you haven't, if you liked it and you haven't given it a look since it is actually worth dipping back into because they've definitely, they, they, they've done, they've done made a whole game. Like it's not, it, it's, it's, I would describe it as fully assed. Mm. Like there's there's nothing half assed about it. Um Yeah. Oh and actually maybe very, very briefly we can say we we have both yeah. today been playing a little bit of a different yeah. kind of scenario based uh turn based tactics game. Yeah, yeah. Special a special, special one for this podcast. For yeah. Tom's game. Tom's game. Tactical breach Rebel wizards. What? Tactical breach wizards. Tactical Breach Wizards. We have been playing it a bit. It's like a new demo, but it's like, it's probably on the hush hush. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone we said this, but we, yeah. yeah. Ooh. If you hadn't, just make a noise. So you can spot, oh. Mm. Mm. Cool. It's I pretty think, spicy. Yeah. We should probably leave it there though. Yeah. Um, yeah. Obvious disclaimers. <laughs> uh, what have you been playing, Alex? Let's talk about what you've been up to. Well, uh, so I got into a little bit of a nostalgic sort of, um, Round into a nostalgic roundabout because it's a game I've been. It does. This does make the, sense. The depressing sequel sense. to Magic Roundabout. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back, yeah, exactly. Um, I this has been like on on my list to play for a long, long time. It's been out for a while, maybe six months or so. Um, it's called Dark Future. Blood Red States. It's a dark future. Dark future. Blood it's Red a, States. Yeah. So colon Blood Red States. It's a. It's a. It's a. It's it's a conversion of an old old Games Workshop board game about future car wars. You know, with punks mm. driving cars with spikes on at each other. It was just like a big thing. And this is why I kind of I wanted to play it back uh, because I played. Um, a game called uh, Battle Cars back in the day. Me and my friend um, Osric Wilkinson um, used to play it at his house. Uh, had all these kind of cards like for your car, and they would have you know you'd fill up the uh, cargo parts of the cars with ammo and stuff, and you'd spend the ammo and you'd drive the little cars around these three D things. It's like it's a miniatures game for cars, and like it was really good. I always liked the fantasy of it. Um, I was also really into uh, fighting fantasy books then mm. and one of my favourites was Freeway Fighter which had on the cover one of those kind of airbrush style kind of hyper real looking pictures painting mm. pictures with a lady with kind of like high heels and kind of sort of I don't know sort of <laughs> bad gear on and a man with like just spiky pauldron 
and nothing much else and a bald head like on the top of a car that had it was a turret except it was bright red except for it was also like a 50s kind of style kind of car but it was like in the middle of a desert and like oh, I, for some reason that stuff chimed with me at the time and it still has a residual charm for me but I just wouldn't expect anybody else to like it so anyway Dark Future was uh, Games Workshop kind of take on it I don't really know it's Providence mm. and I didn't they did a it. few sort of various takes they on did, that genre yeah. Yeah. yeah this one I did actually watch a few um, YouTube get, uh, videos of it and it looks like you build a track out of like curved and straight sections of road mm-hmm. and you you know from start to finish you have your cars and you're going along the road with other um, with other players and you're using movement points to change lane uh, speed up slow down making corners and things depending on how fast you're going and weight and like it gets like and there's a lot of dice rolling a mm-hmm. whole lot of dice rolling um, this actually the, you know so the the, the game uh uh, takes on a lot of that in the sense that you it's real time but with like a almost a pause like when you press space everything slows down very ex- extensively um your actions are to change lanes so your car auto drives along you can speed up and you can slow down um and you can fire your weapons uh and you've got other cars kind of coming at you um, is it multiplayer or it's a single player well I'll get onto the kind of structure sure, of it, yeah. but um so you know you're you're but the, the fundamental game is that you're driving along a road auto driving um and you're choosing the right lane to shoot your front firing weapons which go in a straight line on the top you've got a turret which can fire in any direction and you can also drop bombs out the back and those are the three attacks you've got and there are kind of different weapons within those three different forms, sort of archetypes yeah, archetypes um, and the cars kind of some of them come out in front of you onto the road and others come out the back of you and you're constantly trying to figure out okay slam on s- space spin the view around if I train my turret on the car that's in the outside lane behind me so I can take some shots on that one throw some bombs out the back then I'm going to manoeuvre left so I can go into the same lane as a car out in front shoot the fa- forward uh, facing uh, guns speed up get close enough to the one in front hit the turbo and smash it in the back it's that kind of mm. tactical thinking real time so everything's kind of flying around you and is there other stuff on cooldowns like your yeah your weapons are all on cooldowns and like there are lots of you know some of them are more powerful they're going on a stronger longer cooldown and yeah and all that sort of stuff um, and do you know like it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Like, there's a lot to think about, and I got appreciably better at it in making better decisions and things. Um, and the environments, like, the roads just go on forever. They're, like, procedurally sort of generated. But from pretty good archetypes, there's sort of hellscape kind of uh, factory land with kind of all polluted. There's mountain pass land where you've got these sort of loops going down mountain sides uh, and go over bridges and causeways and things like and they're pretty good looking and it's very you know the the storyline is that um that 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 america cracked down on rock and roll and kind of counterculture in the 60s um uh became hyper corporate corporate corporatized kind of industrialized and uh and then with the iran oil crisis uh everything went wrong as opposed to getting semi-solved 
um, and oil became very, very scarce. And now people are solving that problem by driving their cars really fast at each other because <laughs> there's not enough oil around. That, that's kind of, I think that's basically the setup. Mm. Uh, the, yeah, so it's basically a rogue-like though. And I say though because roguelikes is a form we all know very well. Mm. Like you start to run and you, it ends. you, you do, you do the loop, the do the game, which is car yep. combat in this. You go back to your thing and you spend the money that you earned on stuff. And then, you know, eventually you might start losing. And that means that now you can't, you're not getting the money to re, re you know, sort of buy the fuel that you need to go into the next mm. level. And your run ends and then, you know, you start again. And like, I must admit here it feels pretty pat. Like, I... I, yeah, I'm just not drawn into its fantasy very well. Like, cause you're going into a menu. You've got these sort of real time kind of combat 3D worlds that you're kind of spending the, the kind of the, 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 the kind of like the core game in. And then you're back in kind of menu land and you kind of the, the power ups, like, yes, I got a better turret and it shot harder, but now I've got the bigger cooldown and yeah. And I'm waiting for another time for another new weapon to unlock so I can buy that for it. And I'm not making any particularly interest, interesting decisions there. And the difficulty level as it sort of escalates, I don't really feel that I'm getting a feel for that. Mm-hmm. Like that's, maybe this is a tuning issue, but I'm not very excited about the, 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 the fundamental, um, setup because it's weird because I think that if you were making a car game, and you want to do a roguelike style to it where you're kind of embellishing your car and investing in certain, you know, play styles yeah. for it. Wouldn't you set it on a journey? You know, wouldn't mm. you kind of like have a road? You're driving across the US or something and yeah. you're, you know, how far can you get? Like, why am I doing missions, you know, instead? Right. Yeah. Discrete missions, which just send me to some random kind of, you know. Because I guess that, that is also giving you the sensation of being reset. Back to the start at yeah. the end of every mission, and then in a sort of doubly so at the end of every run. Yeah, run. yeah, yeah. And it wants that the missions themselves are very sort of, you know, like the first time I played it, like, oh, okay, like, so okay, so this one we've got to run the blockades, and the, there are ten blockades, which are basically um, a, uh, a like a thing across the road, except for one of the lanes is clear for you to go through. Yeah, the way blockades always work in video games and probably don't work in real life. Yeah. Like, where you have to give, like, the sporting gap. Yeah, it's the, yeah. make your way through the sporting gap. Yeah, sometimes it's a ramp. <laughs> but, like, it's not very interesting, you know, and, and you're fighting off cars at the at the same time. So I suppose the, the, the challenge to this particular scenario is, will you notice the sporting gap? I think that's probably, the, you know. Mm. Or are you too yeah, preoccupied? It's fine. And there's yeah. another one where kill enough other cars and then the boss appears and then you... The boss harder, is, is harder the boss a car. It's a car. Yeah. They're all cars. It's cars all the way down. There's actually one of the most different where I had to hack a, uh, hack and hack a lorry. <laughs> and to hack a lorry, I had to match its speed and stay, my, keep my car within a certain zone on the side of the, this, mm. this lorry, which would change around because some, maybe someone was changing the Wi-Fi router, moving the router around. I don't know. Anyway, I had to, you know, you had to reposition yourself and while fighting off other cars. That was that was good, you know. That was fun. That was interesting. But they just these discrete missions, and they started. They were massively repeating, and I, mm. you know, I don't know whether 
as you get further into a run, you get much, much more different things. But ultimately, uh, you know, it feels to say me, I'm not invested in the journey. I'd like it to be a journey that I'm yeah, right. On well, that's an, I think fantasy. That's, I want a fantasy. I want the fantasy that I got me into that stuff in the first place. Yeah, like it's interesting because the the there are lots of different ways of expressing that journey, but it's it's interesting. I think maybe we've banged on a lot about rogue like yeah. design on this podcast. Yeah. Everyone's banged on about it, but actually, I would say that the journey aspect is often the under-remarked part of that. Yeah, because that's what Rogue was. It was a journey downwards. Yeah, yeah with how it's how deep into this maze can you get? How yeah. deep into this dungeon? How lo- far along this game? Like, you know, like, if if every time you went through a level portal in Spelunky, you were spat out into any level from any of its zones or any of its biomes, it wouldn't feel the same. Um, you know, the, those, those internal markers are super important. Like, yeah. this time I got all the way to the ice part or something like that. Um... Games obviously have toyed with doing it otherwise, and I, I want to talk about a game that does it slightly differently, but like, you know, even the, the Sunless games that operate on a very different scale also have that aspect of how far did you get? What did you do? In fact, I would argue that. And you're in a, but you're in a, you're in a completely cohesive world as well. Yeah. Like you have a huge investment in that journey. Yes, right. In fact, I, I, I um, return to that when I think when I'm talking about the game that I'm, I've been playing, but, I think in those cases, actually, they suffer a little bit for the fact that because it's not, you know, those those are sort of rogue or like games with permadeath at a, at a scale, right, where you're spending a significant amount of time there. And that means you're doing a significant amount of going back and forth. Certain journeys become rote as you get used to them. And that is a little bit of a risk because often your measure of... it. it one of the things that solves death or failure in, in one of these games is, well, I got this far and that felt good. You know, it's the same thing that makes you feel good about trying and failing in like a battle royale game or something where it's like, well, I got to the top 10 this time and I don't usually get there. Like these, these sort of unmarked markers help balance the feeling of failure. Yeah. 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 I think that if you, I think that the, the Spelunky feel, and like, and I think this, this also goes back to Rogue, certainly to stuff like Brogue and things, you get a feel for that journey. Like, you know, okay, the first one, you got the caves. You got the first couple of levels in, in Brogue, mm-hmm. and you know the kinds of things that you're going to face in them. You know the kinds of questions you're going to be asking. You know how you're going to set yourself up in those areas, those first ones. Then you get down a bit further. You've got jungle. Oh, it's, the, it's like, it's a massive challenge all of a sudden. Like, you know, and it, and that character, the, the, the journey is very, um, is very authored, you know. Yeah. By, you know, and, but, and you're taking your part in that. Um, and yes, you're repeating them, but by repeating them, you're learning those places. And as you're learning them, you're taking more and more involvement in them. Like, you know, so, okay, let's, let's start out this, this, this dark future game on the Eastern seaboard. Like you're going through the suburbs of New York, for instance. And, you know, okay, this is a certain set of decisions that you're making and you're getting to know. Mm-hmm. And then you make your way, like maybe you go down to Louisiana, you get into a nasty bog. With nasty bee people in it, all sorts. <laughs> we almost got through forty minutes of a podcast, <laughs> but you're in a car, so it's different. <laughs> cool. But yeah, it's like, but you know, that's what I really like. And then maybe you're making choices, like you, you know, there was a game that did this really early on. Like you could do a, it could be like Outrun, like where you're. I mean, you're talking about Oregon Trail, basically. But yeah, 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 right, right. 
Yeah, that's the, that's the perfect example. Yeah. But like, left or right, let's go to Louisiana, or do I want to do a run where we're going to go to, through the Rockies? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know my geography. Yeah. did a geography degree, but who cares? <laughs> but yeah, uh, that's what I really like, and I think it just feels like a real, really dropped ball. And in its place, this game has tried to put story in, and like you, you're kind of, when you in between uh, levels or missions, you're in a menu... And you've got, like, it, it's styled up like you're in, like, a, I don't know, app thing. There's a shop tab for your app, and there's a, there's emails as well. And there's a lot of words in this game. Oh, Christ, they are anxious to make a world. And I, I believe there are quite a lot of the words written by James Swallow, mm. the, the, the author. He's a Black Library author, and he was mm. also a columnist for Edge back in the day. I might still, I think he still is, actually. Anyway. He's um he's a good writer. Like the words are okay, but I just that's not what I need from yeah, this game. Not. I don't really care about the, your world because all I'm doing is taking little randomized snapshots where I'm doing not particularly like missions that I'm not really very invested in. Yeah, and I yeah, I, um, that's a shame. It feels like it's fixable though. You know, like feels like I could probably fuck it up with solutions that don't actually work for it. But you know. Mm. You, you want a backseat driving a little bit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, that's oh, good. Good, isn't it? So yeah, uh, dark, but I, you know, it's it's good fun for a little while. Uh, dark, uh, dark future, blood red states, and that reminds me because I was actually thinking there there is a roguelike, which is a driving game, where you're and I can't remember what it's called. We'll put it on the show notes or look it up. But in this one, um, it's a it's a roguelike, and it's from the last couple of years, and. You're driving sort of, I think it's side-on or something, and you're, mm. oh, God, what is it? And There's, so there are elements of that in Organ Trail, but that's very much just Organ oh. Trail with the zombies. <laughs> it's a good game, Organ Trail. I like it. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what you're referring yeah. to. We might cut this bit out, or I might find the game, and we can talk about the next game Chris has been playing instead. <laughs> well, how have you been playing? What, what's, the, what's the link? So um, it is actually pretty relevant. So I have been on a huge horror kick recently um, and actually it's one of those things where when interests from a few different parts of your life all kind of coalesce and you realise oh this is actually settled in and it's now just a thing that I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing um, rather than it being a sort of passing thing and so this this spans having had a bit of a weird week of cinema which began with Cats um, which is um, maybe it's not obvious why, it should be obvious why that's a horror that is thing. a horror that is true yeah. horror um, via uh, Parasite which is an incredible incredible film uh, Cats Parasite Nick Cage's Colour Out of Space with, uh, <laughs> oh, uh, wow. uh, and then The Lighthouse um, holy shit a real fucking like, that's a real that's an like experience I managed to encapsulate so much of the like I've I've taken myself on a journey I think across all the things and the last three of those were all within like a day of each other um, and so it's been a real journey in my mind of like oh just all of my interest in, in cosmic horror, and, and which is, is very prevalent in a lot of the things I like, has sort of come literally bubbling out of my tear ducts in the last couple of uh, weeks. I think uh, every, well, I appreciate cosmic horror is, is of varying degrees of relevance to each of those things. It's obviously very relevant to color out of space and cats. It is, it is not a, it is a, oh, certainly a referent point in, um, <laughs> in, um, in, in, in Lighthouse and I think a sort of um, you know uh, I don't want to say too much about Parasite because it's just such an extraordinary film but an element of um, 
kind of you know what can lurk in the spaces that you're not paying attention to is is one of the many things that film kind of addresses in, in a really phenomenal way um long story short uh i then picked up and started playing world of horror hmm. um which has just gone into early access but it is in the kind of lovely complete feeling kind of early access where i very much welcome it getting new stuff but uh i'm very happy with it regardless so team positive buzz and i wasn't i was like ready to be like impressed but at a distance um but actually i really love it i think it's great and it's it's definitely one of the first games this year to to uh really grab me other than hunt sorry um and because hunt is the other part of this and uh, yeah, a lot of started playing. Oh, a big quick shout! I started playing Fallen London again because they've got a lovely new map, and also that game's ten years old now. Holy shit! Yeah, yeah. indeed. So congratulations to Failboat. Yeah, fucking I. Yeah, that's uh, it's a lovely thing and a good achievement. Anyway, so World of Horror is a um, has a relationship, I would say, with with the Failbetter games. It has a relationship with, uh, I would say, Fighty Fantasy as well, and it's a roguelike. So basically. Uh, it is a, a horror game that's a, uh, it's, it's, it's described as a tribute to H.P. Lovecraft and Junji Ito. Uh, but it's definitely the Junji Ito side of it. It <laughs> looks like it's a, it's styled after the sort of adventure role playing games of like the 286 era. Um, it's set in a town in 1980s Japan, but you play it on a, a fake, you know, it's a, a fake terminal, basically. <laughs> so, it's, it's all done with like monochrome, you know, two bit line art, uh, literally drawn in paint by one man, apparently. But it has that sort of Junji Ito art style of sort of stark blacks and whites and kind of, you know, sort of pallid staring faces and mixture of sort of manga realism and sort of those great, I'm trying to evoke it and I could just show you a picture, but this is the podcast medium. Um, those sort of great, uh, like very evocative sort of very simple depictions of urban Japanese city life those kinds of things um but you're playing in in the context of the game you're playing on like a, a 286 pretty much that is do you see to, the do you yeah. see the display like yeah you're looking at a big a big chunky old monitor yeah. but that itself is done in the same art style oh, and right. you're playing the game on that yeah um and it plays with that 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 layering like i feel like we're going to return to this game because i think marsh has been playing it as well and partly because i can bang on about how many of its decisions are really 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 smart um, but that's one of them is that you are, there's a really nice unification of, um, it's input style, which is a super old school adventure game. Like you've got a mouse cursor, but you know that, um, the sort of, uh, the sort of ghost of the cursor that would follow like your mouse cursor on really old computers, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Like, cause you know, whatever the refresh rate is, is, is kind of leaving the thing. It, it does that. It feels like it, it feels the nice thing about it is it doesn't feel cumbersome to use. Once you know where the UI is, it's actually quite quick, but it has the feeling of playing a game on like a 286 or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Um, and so it's sort of rooted in the technology of its era. You can even, uh, Oberdin style kind of change the color palette if you want or randomize it for each new run. Um, um, but that's the color, it, it is rooted in the technology of the era that it's depicting. And that is great just as an aesthetic point because it links you sort of, structurally to the experience of the characters in the world that it's depicting. Like there is a sort of spooky window uh, outside the behind your monitor and it, it is immediately sort of unsettling in the sense of um, 
not knowing where the game ends. Yeah, <laughs> and that, yeah, yeah. and that is, that is absolutely fucking key to Lovecraft specifically. And it's the thing that pisses me off all the time. I must have said this in the podcast before, but like Lovecraft stuff that is set in the twenties has almost immediately missed a trick unless they're doing something else with it because Lovecraft didn't set stuff in the twenties. He set stuff in an era that was contemporary to him. And contemporary, to, you know, what I mean? so right. yeah, it's like, not meant to be nostalgic. It, that's yeah. what Color of Space is, is right because it's set, it's gone contemporary. Yeah, right. Like, and that's not to say that there isn't good um, mythos stuff in that part of the universe. But I immediately am less interested if you have bolted noir detectives to Call of Cthulhu because that's kind of what everybody does. Um, the one thing I will say though is this game is also quite a lot structurally like. Um, the Arkham Horror card game, which is very good and is set in that sort of, of Lovecraftian mythos. But I would also say that the thing that's nice about this is in grabbing all those kinds of trappings of cosmic horror and mixing them with like the body horror and like suburban sort of, sort of, uh, malaise of yeah. Junji Ito stuff. Hypernormality. Yeah, hypernormality of like the horrifying things that could happen in a, uh, a big Japanese apartment block in the 80s. Yeah. Um, it also kind of neatly, I think, gets around all of the other concerns people might have about Lovecraft and Lovecraft- Lovecraftian adaptation, <clears throat> which is great. Um, what you actually do is you initially, after doing some initial tutorial stuff, you, you begin a run um, and you can randomize it or you can configure it. But basically you will be one of several characters and then add extra characters, have stats and things like this. Um and then you will um, start the game in this town, and the Earth essentially is under threat from one of a deck of elder gods. And those elder gods change things about what can happen, um, essentially tilting the deck in one way or another against you, and they apply some kind of special rule. So there's like a big space eyeball that's coming for us very slowly, and that means that all magic doesn't cost you any... Uh, any health or any of your kind of sanity to cast, oh, okay, yeah. but it advances the doom tracker because when the doom tracker fills up, it's bad news. It's very board game. Yeah, it's very. It feels very board gamey. Um, it feels like a sort of solitaire adventure game in that way. Yeah. Uh, or similarly, there's this spider god that wants to eat everybody, and that means you can never retreat from combat. And so because you can't run from spiders, yeah, there's an invisible web. It's just an invisible web that's holding you with terror. And but beyond that, your goal is to complete five investigations. Um, so that you can unlock the lighthouse and send the lighthouse where something will happen. I've not beaten it. And that's a run completed. The investigations themselves are self-contained stories hmm. um, that uh, play out like little choose-your-own-adventure book stories. And they each have unique mechanics. They relate to some common mechanics about investigating different areas of the town and encountering random events and things like this. Um, but to give you an example, the... The, you know, if you're, the, the one it uses as a default is a story about kids in the high school mistakenly, um, summoning a, uh, a demon, a, a demoness, um, who's called like the tall lady with scissors. And all she wants to do is cut your face open. And you, uh, you're there to try and your, your friend has gone missing and you have to find the candles and the chalk to create a ritual circle to summon her so you can defeat her. And this means exploring the school and every time you explore, you'll hit like a different, what would in a board game be like an encounter card. So like you come into the room and they may involve a skill check or you have some options and that will affect what happens. Um, and those are relatively static. 
i.e. they they don't get remixed tremendously, although sometimes you might be in possession of an ally character or an item from a different case that interacts Mm. with those cards. Oh, cool. Um, And sometimes you might not, and you learn kind of what can go right and wrong. Sometimes you have combat encounters, which is a uh, a turn-based system, which is very flexible, where based on your character's stats, you have a time bar, and different actions you can take, and there are a lot of them, and they're very kind of context dependent based on what you're equipped with and who's with you and stuff like that you assign items you assign uh, actions to fill up the time bar so you know a given attack for a heavy attack or a weak attack might take up a certain amount of time and once you filled it up you execute and then you do all the things on the bar various mischances you do different things to manipulate your stats there's some depth there and occasionally you'll be fighting a scary ghost and you will won't be able to hit it with physical things so you have to try something else um and different creatures will attack your your stamina or your sanity, your reason. Um, there are strange little systems built into that. Like there's magic, which is super weird and gr- gross. Um, there's also, you've got the ability to just clap and bow. And different sequences of clapping and bows will uh, create effects, but you can only figure them out by trying them. And that is using time that you'd otherwise be using to defend yourself. So you can be out of options for fending off a ghost that is like a twisted kind of pixel art. The the art is really great, actually. Corpse. And you're just trying to figure out the right combination of claps and bows to banish this thing. And then it fucking rips you to pieces. Like, it's, it's you know, you are... It tells its little beats of horror through... These little bits of descriptive text, the things that happen to you are horrible, but they're low-key horrible. And they're obviously end states that are bad. Like, you know, you collect endings, and a lot of them are bad for you or for other people. Um, but even, like, the small wounds you acquire over time, simply losing... Because you'll lose health and heal health and, and try and solve things. But it's just... It's great, because it's, it's not necessarily easy to do horror in this format, because it's not throwing things directly in your face mm. all the time. Although it can do subtly just by having things be slightly too close to the screen and you're not expecting them to be or something like that or things wig out in the UI. But you, you know, like, you'll you'll turn around or you'll be exploring and you'll just run into um, uh, a girl with no eyes who just slices you with a box cutter. And she's not, she's not very threatening. Like, you'll beat her to death with a hammer before she can do anything to you seriously. But... <laughs> your character's portrait will just gain these little scars and marks and things. And it's fucking, it's, 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 it's great. It's got this real sort of like nastiness to it while, uh, never, while not getting really grotesque until it needs to. And anyway, so as you, as you progress through these cases, obviously you can fail outright, which point the run is over. Otherwise you're kind of lurching through it between cases things get worse in the town, depending on how much doom is being acquired. Like, the police close the roads. There's a disease. There's rioting. There's panic. The hospital's overrun. Like, whatever. That means that you get access to a few of the resources. There's a lot going on. And then also, depending on the sequence of the cases that... Because I think there are 12 cases in the game currently, and you get given five in a run. And so, once you've done them once, you kind of know what to expect, although details do get moved around and changed. So what's, but what's really cool about it is rather than you unlocking anything that you take into your next run with you, although you do some, some achievements will like add a character that can then appear in the game in the future, almost like adding a card to the deck. Hmm. But as you, as you do attempt these runs, um, you do learn like, oh, if we go into the art room in school, 
and there's the headless statue, a sculpture of a woman, and there's the case full of masks. Probably a good idea to check out the masks. And st- you learn these sort of little tricks, and it feels right. a lot like that fighting fantasy thing of like, oh, when you hit this, do this. And st- you know what I mean? Like, if you end up here, like learning the, the ropes, but there's enough of it that I'm still at the stage where you're encountering new things. And, yeah. and a lot of the other factors, like which god is in play, affects the kind of things you hit on the way. It's just, it's it's really cool. And I've managed to make it to the lighthouse once and fail, which sucked, but it was... Oh, so you went to five, all five? I've done all five in one run. But you also find, you know, cool things like you find yourself ordering... Because one of the things it's asking you to do... So on the main menu, you can see like an encyclopedia of all stuff you haven't haven't seen, from enemy types to endings, including bad endings. And so you you can can see it like... You can see... The question mark, question mark, question mark. I haven't seen this. And so partly, obviously your goal is, can I finish this run? Can I beat it? Mm. But your other goal is, can I see everything? Like, can I find, which is really nice because it's kind of how people play interactive fiction games. It's not just, can I get to the end? It's, what other things are What's in here? And that's something that I think compares favorably to stuff like the Sunless games, which I do like because this makes it more explicit. Like, I want to do a run about, like, there's a, there is a particular case that has a pretty horrible ending and I can tell that it would have a much worse ending and it tells you how many endings you've seen but that much worse ending would cost me some stuff that I've usually wanted to take into subsequent cases with me right. but I may do a run, run just to run see specifically to do it. Yeah. yeah and why not yeah um, and how, long like, you, how long would you say a run is like how long is an investigation uh, um, I would say so like a whole run I think it's usually about 10 to 15 minutes for an investigation. Okay. So it's yeah. not long. So it's like maybe 90 minutes to do everything if you don't die. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm really, really enjoying it. Like it's, it's, it's pretty gruesome in places, but it's because it's this 2D, two bit art style. There's a limit to how visually gruesome it can actually be. A lot of it is just done with effective atmospheric artwork yeah. and and just setting and context yeah and, and like even just the sort of meandering kind of like gothy midi music kind I of I was going to ask you what the music was the sound yeah sound it, yeah it's it's super neat like and like it does it turns it's got like each case is almost like a, a you know nowadays I think you would probably call them like creepy pastas in a box right like and you just sort of open them up and you explore them and like I I realized the first time I'd done one particular case, I hadn't, I'd found this thing earlier, which was like, obviously a clue for later in the puzzle, and I hadn't figured out where to put it in. And then my second run through, I did find it. And I was like, oh, I've located, I don't want to spoil it. So I'm being super vague, but it was like, I'm going to do it. You know, the first time I'd gotten this sort of like, like not a downer ending, but a like a, well, we've solved the mystery of where these people went, but we don't really know the truth. And that's, you know, you still get the, you know, get the things you need for beating it, move on to the next case. And the second time I went in, like, right, I've got this, I've, I know how to get this clue now. I know I can go here and do this thing and it will change the ending. I was like, I'm going to go find the true ending. And it completely fucked me. <laughs> like doing the thing, like, like I, I saw something I didn't want to see. I couldn't do very much about it. And I ended up basically throwing, um, just throwing objects that I found on the ground, throwing bits of broken glass at a giant pseudopod and hoping it wasn't going to annihilate my mind. And it did. <laughs> and it was really nice as a reveal, because I think in a different kind of roguelike, 
yeah, that would feel it, bad. Like, like oh, I actually oh, found right. the secret way, and that I was bad. To do that, yeah. Like, why is it a bad I'd thing? I earned it. Yeah, I yes, earned a bad I'd thing. Earned but actually, like, that's how you fucking do good cosmic horror in a game. Punish me for actually trying to find out the truth. Yeah. Like, doing the sort of, like, I'm not going to mess around here. I'm just going to go find, you know, I came here to find out where these people went. I found out where they went, and I'm gone. Like, is how you survive these stories. The fact that I got punished for, like, but if I do the secret thing, I can activate the altar. Oh, wait, that's a bad idea. Like, that... But yeah. I filled out the thing on the, on the menu. Yeah, so, yes. but that's a good balance, right? Yeah. I still got my reward. I still yeah. saw something cool. Yeah, no, I've I got always my pa- liked that kind of thing. Yeah. It's funny you should talk about... Um, so, uh, I, this afternoon, I was sent my copy of Subcutanean. Mm. So, uh, I read um, a blog post by Emily Short, the narrative designer. I felt that Par, par extraordinaire. Mm. Um, because she was talking about a book called uh, Subcutanean, which is by an author called Aaron P. Um, uh, um, Aaron P. Reed. He's done game narrative stuff, but this is uh, a book, normal book. Except for it's not a normal book because every every copy is different. He's the apparently the extent to which this the stories are different is quite wide. It's a horror story about. A house with a huge basement underneath. I don't know much more about it than that, but apparently it's a good story about a big basement, big <laughs> horrible basement. Uh, and yeah, um, every copy is different, um, like based on a seed. Like he's done game narrative sort of stuff, so he knows how to make procedural stories. Mm. Does not read like a procedural story. It is authored, but significant changes in characters and plot lines change between these different copies. And so I bought one, I bought two copies, one for me and one for my wife. And we're going to read and we're going to compare. And I'm really excited. Like, and like, but yeah, the, I was just struck by the narrative design of what you were saying, you know, Mm. the way that these investigations are slightly remixed or things in different orders or yeah. like, you know, sort of you play them in different ways. I think you have to suspend an element of disbelief because you will see the same things in different places and, you know, draw, you know, you have to know that you're kind of drawing cards from a deck really yeah, of yeah, encounters. Yeah, right, right. But like, I like that personally because I think, I think it leaves, you know, horror, is very well served by leaving these gaps for the player's imagination to fill in regardless. And there's something about it has enough little interactions, things you can tinker with. The VHS player in your apartment, I've never figured out what you can do with it. You can look out the peephole in your apartment and sometimes there's something weird there, Mm. but I don't know what that means. (laughs) And these little little interactions at the side, there's enough of that stuff that you don't wholly lose yourself to the mechanics of it. So it actually harkens back a little bit to what we were talking about last week about games with which withholds stuff to make what yeah. you do have really precious, you know, like the possibility and the fact that in a, presumably a, in a room which doesn't have that many features in it, the fact that it has a VHS player. It's like, interactive. Yeah. That's something that I really want to know about. Yeah, it feels it feels this, like it's an interesting mix because it also lets you kind of dive into the mechanics and it shows you how much stuff there is in the game. Mm. Like, you know, you have the list of monsters you haven't seen and things like that. But it feels almost, on the other hand, designed to uh, furnish urban legends about things that are possible or, or mm. not possible within that kind of uh, set. And I think... Um, I don't know, not to get super wanky about it, but it is exactly the sort of thing I get super wanky about. Like, 
there's something it's a solitaire game really like you know so you're playing you're playing the odds against yourself and trying mm-hmm. to make a run through it and it has all this huge tremendous aesthetics on top of that but for me like there is a sort of um like a, uh, a you know oh man I'm trying to say this sound like a wanker there's a sort of like a ritualistic nature to drawing the cards against yourself mm-hmm. right like this is it, there's a whether this is you're talking about a, a pool of dice or a tarot deck or a regular deck of cards there is you know a kind of concentration or a kind of engagement with a particular like a a system beyond you that is encapsulated in those kinds of games that I really like. There's something about it that I find very absorbing. And I think this, this world of horror strikes a really good balance between letting you play, like letting you have control over the things you feel like you can control. If it was far, if it was more random, if the details on those cards could change more significantly or the kinds of tests or rewards they offer were wildly divergent, I think it would lose something because it would become Holy, this sort of like, uh, you know, roller coaster of like, God, I hope I make it this time, but I can't really control this. So I'm going to give up. Whereas it's very good in the manner of a solitaire game of keeping you in the moment, allowing you to feel a little bit of control, but not, um, but never fully sort of, uh, allowing you to anticipate what might happen next. You know, sometimes you're just going to hit a monster. You can't deal with the things you've got, but, that's a horror story at this point. It's mm. such a great merging of gender, uh, of genre and form. Mm. Mm. Like, because that is also something that's really crucial to these games, right? Like, in addition to the sense of the journey that you've, you've been on, a sense that you're, you know, not screwed ever is also what keeps you going through them, right? Like, Spelunky can put you in a really bad situation with a low, no hearts left and, and no bombs and stuff. But it's very rare that those games ever put you in a situation where you're actually just doomed or that there's no point continuing. And that's, a, again, a really good balance for a game about hopelessness. I feel like I'm, I'm in full-on fucking, you know, uh, sued territory now. But <laughs> that's stuff that I really admire about it. Like, there's some, like yeah, that's yeah. what gets me excited about it because I think it's a, it's a cool game. It costs a tenner and I'd recommend it to anyone who's interested in horror on that basis. But it's when it's, it's, it's marriage of form and the type of game that it is and the strange little solipsism of playing it combined with the, the sort of the, the art and the feeling that the UI evokes of being up late on an old computer mm. when that was more of an isolated experience than it would necessarily be now mm. as well. Like it has the feel of like cursed software that you'd forgotten about from the eighties or something like that. It's got the untold stories about it as well. Yeah, it does. It does actually. That's a good comparison. But it's, no, it's, 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 it's really, and it, I believe it's a one person operation as wow. well, a Polish developer. Really cool. Let's look it up. I'm going to play. Gonna yeah. Play. Well, I actually left it on upstairs so I could show you after this. <laughs> <laughs> what we should do now though is, uh, you and I is, is just sort of, uh, wander, uh, bodily into the boundless ocean and find out what Pip's been up to. Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got me. Damn. It's because your whole body moves when you're about to say hello, Pip. <laughs> Only in this context. <laughs> yeah, but it makes it really easy to mess with you. Well, I appreciate that's your priority, but hello, Pip. Hi, Chris. Would you like to tell me 
about all the time you spent in the ocean. Oh. <laughs> you mean in Sea of Thieves? Well, it's, <laughs> it's a roundabout way of asking you if you're going to get back in the sea at any point. Oh, no. <laughs> How mean. Mm. <laughs> and well, I've been nothing but good all episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's been less than a minute. <laughs> Yeah. So it's been a while since we've enjoyed your your uh, presence on the pod. Mm. And that is because, as I understand it, you spent the Has entire... Has it been longer or less long than the last time I was on the pod? <laughs> that might be like a <laughs> bit of a burn. <laughs> That's for the readers to decide. I mean, listeners. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but that is because, uh, among other things, you spent the entirety of that time uh, at the bottom of the ocean. Well, not really, because there isn't the bottom of the ocean in Sea of Thieves, but you do tend to record on Sea of Thieves night (laughs) when I go out on the sea. So, how are things on the ocean? (laughs) Do you want me to tell you a bit about why I like Sea of Thieves? Is that where this is going? Look, it's just nice to find out what you've been up to, and what you've been up to is playing Sea of Thieves by yourself, so let's just explore... Let's just explore that paradigm. I invite other people. It's not my fault that they're not as cool as me. Um, No, so I got really into Sea of Thieves and I don't quite know 100% why because oftentimes you come in and say, how's it going? And I'm like, bigger kids stole my leeches. (laughs) Or um, I just got killed. Or, well... The Kraken came along and took my stuff. So, you know, I I feel like it's... I'm not quite sure why I keep going back to be bullied. (laughs) By the ocean. Well, it's not by the ocean. It's by developers Mm. and by other people. (laughs) Also, people are developers. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Um, But you know what I mean. It's a uh, sea of thieves. It's kind of where I was getting at. I suppose so, but I, I feel like when I say things in in the the world chat, which are, you know, like I did at lunchtime today, seriously, take the treasure, I don't want it, leave me be, I'm fishing. Mm-hmm. And then when they carry on pelting you with firebombs and it kills you and they sink your ship and you have to try and escape with all of your fish... It's like, okay, but could you not have done that? Like, you've you've got nothing out of this, really, have you? You could have taken all of that, and then you could have had some extra firebombs left, couldn't you? But no, they have to just show off and make sure I'm not a threat when I'm clearly not a threat because I'm busy passive-aggressive typing, so they leave me alone. So a bit of important context here is not only have you taken to playing Sea of Thieves by yourself, but that, that activity is predominantly in the pursuit of fishing. Well, only recently. Mm. Oh, I see. No, actually, it's always been in pursuit of fishing. <laughs> but recently they added a fishing-related goal mm. that was only available for two weeks and I could get a fancy figurehead on my ship. And so you all you had to do, I say all, all you had to do is catch 180 of the most common and therefore irritating fish, the ruby splash tail. And you you have done this? Oh, I've done this. (laughs) I never want to see another Ruby Splashdale again, thank you very much. (laughs) So what's the appeal of fishing in Sea of Thieves for you? Um, It's really easy, but you can still mess it up. So it makes me think maybe I'm good at it, even though kind of a chimp could be good at it. (laughs) 
<laughs> but it's like there's just enough skill that a robot probably couldn't be good at it. What if it was uh, a robot programmed by the developers of the game? Yeah, I thought you might bring that up, but I was thinking mostly of the sort of robot that you would get in the 80s for I Christmas. <laughs> like, I'm better than that, <laughs> I'm more advanced than that. Like a Roomba robot. couldn't do it, but a chimp might. Be I don't able know. To. A Roomba might. I don't know. I don't know mm. much about Roombas. So, what's the appeal <laughs> of, of undertaking this? I guess like MMO-ish grind challenge, but in a get by yourself in a game designed for co-op, where the title is literally "Sea of Nicking Other People's Things." Okay, so I well, mm. <laughs> so I think mostly. The appeal of it was because I was going to be fishing anyway. Mm. So, but the game gives you lots of little smaller fishing goals. So it's like, you know, I wouldn't have had to catch 180 ruby splash tails, but I would have had to catch 50 of them to get to that, that goal mm. of, of that part of the, the fishing tree, <laughs> whatever you call it, the, you know, like the commendation yeah. system in the game. And so, and, and, you know, similarly for the sunny splash tails and the indigo splash tails and the sea foam splash tails. And the, do you know what I mean? So I would have been out there, but I've been moving around a bit more mm. <laughs> because I would have been going, okay, well, I've, you know, I'm a bit bored with fishing in the, in the wild. So I will go to the, um, the devil's roar, which is where all of the molten sort of fish are and um so i would have probably changed that up a bit or you know been a bit more pleased when the kraken turned up because then i could have got some kraken meat you know that Mm. kind of things um so really it essentially just added a really big number to one of the things that i was kind of in the zone to do anyway right yeah because i was actually kind of worried when they announced they were doing this event i was worried for you because i knew that you'd been spending all this time fishing and learning to pilot a sloop by yourself and do see if these things mm-hmm. completely solo you and watched it last night yeah it's you? very impressive um thank you and um but i was kind of worried that the game itself placing a kind of laser focus on this activity would mean more people coming to steal your leeches ah uh, yes you don't need leeches for the ruby splash tails so. i see well you've corrected me <laughs> but that one was really annoying because i told those people please don't sink me i'm only fishing take the treasure they left the treasure they stole my leeches which were the bait that i needed for the fish in that particular area at the time because this was before that <laughs> have you challenge. tried reverse psychology in these moments because if people are being dicks they may they may identify what will upset you and do that i mean i did think about it but it's quite it's quite complicated to type that stuff out you know mm. like you could say take treasure am fish you know <laughs> or you know but but you know, take fish and treasure. That sounds weird. Well, I guess, but I guess what you could, you could go for is like, um, take all my fishing stuff. I only want this one bounty skull. And then they'll right. take that skull and leave. That's my, that's my hot mind game. I think it's more that, okay, so I've come up with different strategies for this. Cause on the sloop, there's not really many places to hide. Cause with the, um, with the three story, story, three deck boat, mm. um, that you get for four players, you can actually hide things inconveniently, not really hide them, but you can put them on the very bottom deck. And so yeah. if people are trying to, you know, like just get in and get out with as much as they can. They won't go that far down because it's a risk to them. Um, but on the sloop, it's just, you know, that one 
area that's kind of it's it's almost like just a mezzanine, you know, mm, the, a boat mezzanine. And so um, they can pretty easily take stock of what you've got. So I have I've I figured they probably they'll prioritize things that look like treasure, and they probably wouldn't go for things like storage chests where you can put fish. So I've been putting my fish in them instead of in the barrels because they might check the barrels. Mm. But storage crates tend to only have like, oh, it's got some wood in it. Oh, it's got some pineapples pineapples or coconuts or bananas Mm. or something. And so they might, you know, not prioritize that, but they'll take anything that's super shiny or they'll take a crate of like exotic silks or something. So I've been sort of... I've been doing that. There's also a part on the bottom deck of the sloop where if you put an ashen key down, unless you know that it's there, it sort of glitches slightly through one of the planks. Mm. And so they won't But obviously if they think your boat, it just floats to the surface (laughs) and they take it. But um, yeah, so I have, um, there are a few tactics on that front. I, I extinguish the lights on the top deck and on the middle bit just so that people can't, see me from from far away as easily <laughs> has this stuff worked much no <laughs> <laughs> i mean well i think it probably has but it's in such niche situations it would only be if they boarded and then took some things and went yeah rather than just set you on fire and but if there's yeah. more than one person i'm unlikely to win that because one of them can be messing the ship up faster than I can patch it or you know if I'm fighting someone I'm not patching I'm not you know firing Mm. on them you know that kind of thing and like also I'm not steering crucially so I might just end up you know running into a rock or something Mm. so um so I think there have been maybe one or two times when that has actually paid dividends but mostly it's just me feeling quite pleased with myself when I'm just you know on the high seas (laughs) I'm thinking, ah, you know, if this very specific situation plays out, I'm golden. <laughs> <laughs> so you you have, like, this is definitely your game of the moment, I would say. Mm-hmm. Do you have it, like, are you kind of joked about the kind of, the the, the whys of it, but you, is there a reason, do you think, for investing that time into this pursuit in this game rather than in, I don't know, your Stardew Valleys, your other games that allow you to sort of sit and farm up a collection or or do something like that? I think I think with Sea of Thieves, I genuinely find the ocean so beautiful. Mm. Like I would happily be in that environment in environment a lot more so than I I don't really get on with pixel art a lot of the time and so Stardew Valley feels mm. kind of not naturally my cup of tea in that very immediate aesthetic way and so I don't you know that there's immediately a slight barrier whereas with this i'm like the sea let me take a million screenshots and Mm. you know there's also i think it does a good job of some of it is not great like the tall tales aren't very good they're the main story missions Mm. and we my regular group we keep doing you know that thing of saying oh we should you know we should try to get to the end of it let's do another one this evening just you know and just try and meander our way through it and I don't think there has been one of those where we haven't just found it a bit frustrating at points or a bit dull and you know it's 
it's been more conducive to a fun evening to tab out and just Google for the quick solution to something mm. than it is to puzzle over it. And it's kind of the polar opposite of a destiny raid in that way. Like yeah. it doesn't feel rewarding for all of you to bash your head against that puzzle. And in destiny, it very much did. So that's kind of, mm. um, it doesn't have that going for it, but I, it does have this thing where it it almost feels like it knows when you want to quit. And so it will throw up little things like that's exactly when you'll find a shipwreck, you know, just mm. ten, uh, um, temptingly on the horizon. You'll be like, oh, we could check it out. There might be something really cool in there. Or, you know, that will be when a uh, megalodon spawns and starts chasing you. Or it will be when a skeleton ship arises from the depths or something. And, mm. and obviously it might just be, I think there's, that stuff's just on a, cadence you know it'll appear or you know you're prone to activating these things mm. um but yeah i think that's something which is quite i think if you're not in a good place and sometimes i haven't been recently um that can actually be quite nice because it's just a drip feed of <laughs> basically stimuli mm. and and same not same but uh, there's a similar reasoning behind the the fishing thing because i get to watch numbers tick up but it's by doing this thing where, so you you throw your line out, baited or unbaited, and then a fish will always come and, and bite on it. It's just which kind of fish. And so, you know, you can mm-hmm. reel your rod back in immediately if you, you, know, if you, you. want to try again. Yeah, yeah. basically. Um, but once it's on the line, what you're doing is you are just trying to, like, pull in the right way so that the the line doesn't snap or the fish doesn't get away and then when the thing slackens it's you know there are so many fishing like mini games like this but when the line slackens you get to reel it in and then you know the mm. the the pulling phase you know <laughs> starts again and all of that stuff um but it it feels like there's just enough of a sense of oh I'm actually fighting to bring this thing on mm. board and like there's just enough kind of i i guess that and and you can mess it up you know you can definitely like pull too hard in the wrong direction and and suddenly it'll be gone or you can get struck by lightning if you're trying to fish during a storm Mm -hmm. suddenly it's like oh no (laughs) or you know people can come and steal your leeches so Mm um so yeah it's kind of like it 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 manages not to be entirely mindless. Yeah. I just find it really interesting that you've managed to sort of yield a, almost like a kind of, like a, a sort of like an absorbing stress toy or, you know, sort of like mm. just sort of activity, kind of calming sort of place to go and, and chill out of a game that is, obviously it has its beautiful presentation and things, but it also doesn't feel designed for that. And it's sort of interesting that it feels like you because it's been sustained over uh, now like two months I guess of, mm. of like sustained solo play it's kind of interesting like I'd not heard of anyone carving out a play style for themselves quite so robustly within it hmm I'd be interested if other people have because I know that people do do solo sessions but yeah I wonder whether they stick with it quite as much I do go in phases of you know if I have a few bad runs or it ends badly you know like I'll um I, I do try and think, am I just 
making myself miserable at this point like is it worth it you know those moments to, to go against the grain of the game yeah yeah but i've also set up little projects for myself like i'm trying to get all of the ashen um tomes that they're, they're these books that you find in these like magma themed chests kind of thing like they've got um little glowing red veins mm-hmm. across them kind of thing um and you take them to this guy and and he'll you know, if you give him books that he doesn't have, then that unlocks your ability to buy different clothes and different boat livery and stuff like that, which is... um And so one of the people that I play with really hates how I just won't ever wear, you know, um clothes beyond the super basic clothes mm. um in the game. And I ended up doing it to troll him. And then he got really into collecting those items. And so... On the download, I've been collecting all of those items. <laughs> so, um, hoping that next time I, uh, play with him, it will just be like, oh, what, this boat? This outfit? This hat? <laughs> Why, yes. <laughs> so, um, I've got two more to go. But that kind of stuff, like, mm. it lends itself almost to playing in secret because you're trying yeah. for a reveal, you know? Yeah. It is still a game about being a little bit of a dick to someone over the internet. Oh, yes. But just in different and more creative ways than simply setting their boat on fire and stealing their leeches. Mm, exactly. So <laughs> do you think, because obviously it's been a quiet year for games so far, mm. uh, but, of you know, the, the big the big behemoth releases of, of the spring are only two weeks away, but which I'm obviously referring to, to Doom and Animal Crossing. <laughs> do you think your Sea of Thieves solo expedition uh, spree will survive the release of Animal Crossing New Horizons? I think it will depend on a couple of things because one of the things is how Animal Crossing's release impacts my Animal Crossing pocket camp schedule. <laughs> because if it's if it's a case of if it, if the part of my brain that was enjoying pocket camp is happy with any handheld Animal Crossing. Animal Crossing game, and this one doesn't involve leaf tickets mm. <laughs> purchased in secret at one thirty in the morning when I can't sleep and just desperately need something nice to happen, so I buy a cookie in that stupid game and it gives me a hat I've already got, and I'm like, shouldn't have done that. That was a poor decision. <laughs> <laughs> um, then it might be that I swap one out for the other, and then... Sea of Thieves time would theoretically remain untouched. I see. Or if the Sea of Thieves stuff has more events like this, then I can see that either making it a regular, like, enjoyable grind for me, or being the thing that turns me off. It's like, you know, oh, you want me to collect 180 of what now? No, Mm. no, we did that before. It was miserable. I'm never doing that again. (laughs) I don't use that figurehead. And (laughs) and yeah, at least in Animal Crossing, um, it's, you know, the the theft takes place largely through a kind of... I think the world has come round to the, my opinion about Tom Nook, which is that he's actually, you know, a very generous person who just turns up and gives you a load of money and says, just pay it back whenever, you know? Mm. (laughs) It's Lyle who's the problem, the negative influence. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, uh, that, I guess, uh, concludes this episode of Where's Pip Fishing? <laughs> but, um, oh, on the 11th of March, which is, by the way, the same day as Ori and the Will of the Wisps comes out, 
there's a new Sea of Thieves patch and it'll let me put my parrot in a banana costume. Mm, <laughs> so it's a game changer. It really feels like that's a kind of that's an early land grab by that For game. For your time in March. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, maybe it'll be a case of I need to approach Nintendo and say, Well look, this is what this is what Rare are offering. <laughs> so like what are you gonna <laughs> give me? So um but yes. Like, maybe we should do this regular, like, ocean correspondency. <laughs> mm. Well, thank you for taking the time. I think I've got to let you go now so that you can literally go and play Sea of Thieves. Yes, ahoy, or avast, or goodbye. What did ahoy, say? Ahoy, avast, and goodbye. <laughs> I've seen a lighthouse, that's exactly how they talk. Toot toot. Toot toot. Wow, those are some wet adventures. Wow, wet, wet and wild sea <laughs> takes from Pip there. That you definitely just listened to. Yeah, we were definitely there. That <clears throat> happened in this whole time. I just coughed because of how there I was. <laughs> it's just like a load of seawaters just kind of. <laughs> oh, some of them. Oh, I've spilled my beans. Hang on. Regardless, we do have some questions that we've managed to assemble in the break that we just had. While well, we were definitely also present. For- also there, it was like everything was happening at once. There were adventures. There were. Email adventures. It's all adventures. Yeah, incredible. Let's not labour the point too much, though, Alex. Well, let's go to the questions. Yeah, questions. yeah okay, let's do it. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow, Eric writes, Heil, many moons ago, I had a programme called Game Commander that allowed you to tie hotkeys in various games to voice commands you made up, bellowed into your computer microphone, and actually worked quite well. As an aspiring space person, not too dissimilar to Chris... I found this to be fun in games, though it could be slightly awkward with an audience, like Star Trek Bridge Commander, where it really seemed to enhance the overall emotion of the experience as you would give orders and things would happen on the screen. My question, with the increased ubiquity of voice command devices such as Alexa, Siri, etc., do you think voice command in video games will become more prevalent? Could it make an interesting pairing with VR as well? Thanks for all the awesome pods and keep up the great work, Eric from Seattle. P.S. Been listening to the pod since the beginning, and I could have sworn the first dozen or so times I heard you drunkenly say, thanks for listening, everybody, I thought you all were talking German. PPS, <laughs> Tom Francis is an intimidate, is intimidating in person. <laughs> Tom's not intimidating, he's just extremely successful. Um, which isn't, I know you're right. I think, well, the thing is, you've, you've heard him mangle saying, thanks for listening, everybody, so badly, you thought he was speaking German. And how hard can how and you know how, how judgmental can he be? <laughs> yeah, exactly. None of us, none of us can claim any kind of moral or interpersonal superiority after years of this this nonsense. Even now that we're you know drinking tea and recording this in my relatively civilized living room, apart from uh, you know aside from Marsh's rum-soaked pod pit, it's still a big old shambles, isn't it? <laughs> Voice commanded games. Mm. So yeah, I'd forgotten about that thing because because back in the Connect days, that was was one of the Connect things, wasn't it? Yeah, that you'd be commanding. Like, you can even do it on PlayStation now, but obviously everyone has it switched off because otherwise their PlayStation keeps kind of trying to do stuff you don't want it to do just because you're talking and yeah, the microphone. Everyone off. switches off Cortana because what yeah. what the why the fuck would you? Want that? I kind of hate the voice stuff. The only thing I use voice stuff for is setting timers with Siri because it's quite. You have to rehearse. I think the, the for me, certainly for me, and I, I dare say it's true for a few, pe- you know, quite a lot of people, is that I have to rehearse the line because mm. they're stupid and you have to say it in certain ways, right? 
you know you can't kind of muddle yeah. your way into a, into a conversation which is as everybody is knows is how i speak um because i can't really formulate thoughts adequately um i find it really hard to use uh voice commanded stuff but yeah i i know how to set a timer and a few other bits and pieces um mm. the thought of being in a game and having to think up on the fly the right phrase to do the right thing and to know that it's going to trigger at the time that I want to do it. Ooh, I think Bridge Commander, those kind mm. of games is a, are a special case because they're about, they have the performative aspect. I think aspect of it them. adds a degree of role play that is potentially a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> like it, the, the optimal scenario is one where you're playing with other people, but in that case, giving voice commands is going to get confused with just talking to other people. <laughs> but it's like, if you're playing, I don't know, because you can, you know, hook this kind of thing up to Elite or a game like that. So I would like to posit that role-playing by yourself is cool. And I posit this because it's kind of how I play games. But I know that even with my kind of desire to be immersed and, and stuff like that, the moment I say, like, <laughs> uh, engines to full, helmsman, <laughs> by myself, I'm going to, a little part of my brain is going to flare into life. It's, it's the fire brain that's sitting on a chair behind you, looking, its eyes burning into the back of your head. Like, it's it's the part of me that otherwise would be engaged in questioning my decisions. <laughs> you, you know, like, and maybe I need to silence that somehow, once and for all. But, like... I don't know. It's the thing that it allows would make you to go out of the house. It, it's, the, it's the part of you that allows you to go outside of the house and feel that it's okay. Yeah, when the doorbell goes and I have to run down from my office to take a parcel from the DPD person. It's the part of me that allows me to, to that extent that I function in society, allows me to engage with that interaction. One of the few interactions I regularly have <laughs> um, in a way, yeah, the, the, you know, it, it, it plugs me into the universe. If it's like, no, I was actually just upstairs talking to my computer, which is a spaceship in my imagination, then... There's something about that that I don't know if I can wholly bear. Like so the VR thing, uh, imagine, imagine doing all of those things, but you've got something strapped to your head so you don't know whether somebody might hear yeah. you. Exactly. I think this might be fundamentally freeing, but in like, I think we're heading almost into like, like lightly BDSM territory here, but instead of physical pain, it's actual shame. You know what I mean? Like, like, if you manage to break through whatever fucking psychic blockade is is stopping you from feeling paralyzingly self-conscious, like, you know, what if you're playing, let, let's say you're playing Alex, Alex, and you're there in your room in your VR headset and you're enjoying role-playing as Alex, and you can, I don't know, you can get Barney to follow you, but like, Barney, over here! Barney, cover me! And you're just screaming to Barney. You know what I mean? Like, and then... You know, let's, you know, let's say that we, we've, we fucking retconned some Half-Life right there. There were shitloads of Barneys in Half-Life 1. There's one Barney in Half-Life 2. What happened to all the other Barneys? They died in droves. And you're there and you're like, Barney, get down. He doesn't get down in time. He dies. Like, fuck Barney, no. I lost another Barney. Shit. And, and like, and that's the moment where you're like, oh, I've got to stop playing. This is so intense. And I've, I've, I've cried through my, the phone <laughs> padding. my phone padding even wetter. Yeah, exactly. If anything, it's, Sweatier now than it was before. And that's when you take your, your headset off and your window's slightly ajar and, <laughs> and there are kids in the neighbor's garden. They're staring up at you and, 
and and the one of them has and then you're like oh they didn't hear the DPD driver has been for some reason let into the house and yeah. he's <laughs> handing you the package um, and you know or like or, you know even like whatever whatever mechanism it is um, by which uh, you know you find out that someone did hear you you know what I mean you think well I got away with it because nothing's happened and then and then, like, you, you're leaving the house, like, a day later, and one of those kids from next door says, all right, Barney, and then, like, could you withstand the ruin of your being at that point? Like, you'd be fucking... Sun- I, I would... I would turn into a pile of ash. Yeah. That would be it, right? Like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. but if you could survive that, would you not be sort of liberated in some way? No, because I've still, I've still got that... Part of me that's sort of judging myself. Mm. I don't think I can escape that. I might be able to escape the kids next door, but not myself. Yeah, it's it's. I don't know. I don't know. I think I think the other side of it is, like, I'd have to listen to my own voice, and therefore I'm probably not going to be convinced that I'm whatever character I'm <laughs> playing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, you kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm really into the fantasy here, and then you hear a recording of yourself, and oh, I really wasn't in the fantasy. Oh man, that. what if, what if it just tried to immerse you by giving you the script? So, like, you know, obviously, in one thing they revealed in in that Half Life Alex uh, VR demo footage was that she reacts to things, like that's right, yeah, you yeah. know, and she talks in a fairly sort of um, sort of you know dynamic way about the things that are happening to you. What if there's like. A, like a little thing that pops up in your UI that says like say oh heck a head crab yeah or like oh my god the combine are moving in or you know what I mean like are you seeing this or the things that <laughs> things that you say in, in, if you're in a game you like, a little bouncy ball on top of it yeah. oh I messed it up oh no just oh, maybe, oh, maybe deducted this, 10 points no I think maybe we've solved this I'm coming around on this by just not oh, stopping no. talking what if <laughs> what if you had the you know the singing bar from Rock Band yeah and it was like that's how like okay. you maintain like a, like an immersion multiplayer like you can see the lines coming and Barney no and like you're getting like pathos points <laughs> like <laughs> 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 they nailed it little stars come out yeah man it reminds me a bit of uh, BlizzCon they have these booths where you can like step in with your friends and act out cutscenes like you can dub it, it was like can you yeah it was like TikTok can you it was like TikTok before TikTok oh basically. god you'd go in and you'd dub a, like a Diablo 3 cutscene or something oh god and that was actually secretly and the cruelest thing is there was a little bench outside where you could sit and watch and it was always empty and <laughs> oh, god. like I find cons a bit stressful so there'd be a nice place to sit and you'd just sit and watch a procession of people having a lovely time uh, get into a room together and be like, Tyriel, Diablo has returned. <laughs> yes. Like, um, <laughs> oh, hang on a minute. This is the prime time for the, um, the, the old man, uh, uh, uh impersonation. <laughs> Diablo. <laughs> I can't do it. I need to do Bane first. We need, yeah, we need Tom. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, how could you find Tom intimidating? He has the best, uh, old man out of, what's his name? What's the character's name? Deckard Kane. Deckard Kane. Yeah. <laughs> Stay a while. Etc. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, no, is this, man, basically, I don't think it's possible to do this without triggering some kind of, without it 
being a form I think, of cruelty as well. I think it, I think that it would, we'd be doing it now if it worked because, because they did try and it doesn't work. The voicing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, man, no, but what if? <laughs> I think computers are there to press at with buttons. Yeah. And that's what I like. Will you, you willing to accept a touch screen, Alex? That's basically buttons, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretend buttons. Yeah. Hand. Keep it to the hands. That's what I'm saying. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Let me touch it in silence. <laughs> the Alex will just start. <laughs> uh, good. Um, so our next question comes from Bollocks off Discord, who writes, Dear Squelch and Grease Bar, Listening to Chris's words on Mordhau being his relaxing chillcore game resonated with my own feelings on Team Fortress 2 and prompts me to ask, are games drowning in sweat? <laughs> Part of my love for TF2 came from how you would often load a single map, then play for hours with dozens of people seamlessly dropping in and out of play, with no real effect on your overall enjoyment. If there were bodies, it was a fun time. I haven't been able to scratch that itch for years, since most current games you get compartmentalised matchmaking experiences that have plenty of load times in a given evening, and more in common with angry five-a-side local football tournaments instead of playground brawls for immortal children. Uh, yours sincerely, bollocks. Mm. I think the phrase "playground brawls for immortal children" yeah, is very good. Really good. Yeah, and I think that's exactly right as well. It's 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 both the imposition of of fairness, really, matchmaking, and also the imposition of rewards that need to emerge from kind of like structured play sessions with winners and losers, rather than the sort of idle pushing of carts. Yeah, it's like server culture. It just doesn't. But it's almost play culture as well. It's play yeah. versus competition. It's like, yeah, it's Home like rules. kickabout, basically. Yeah, it was, yeah. Like, and you go to a certain culture, a certain place, has a certain atmosphere, certain rules. Yeah. There's some, there's some amount of that with stuff in Minecraft and things, but... Um, yeah, there yeah, is. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be... There's a lot lost in the drive to the... the core, like. It is the corporatized version. Like you play on the terms of the game now. It's not on the terms of the group. Mm, yeah, right. The game is not a, a a toolkit that's been given to you to go have fun with your friends or strangers who set up a mm. server or something. Yeah, I don't really have much to add to this other than this is correct. Mm. Like, and it is a shame. I think there's. I wonder whether because it's certainly something. Uh, so yeah. I, Long time listeners will know that I occasionally talk about Roblox stuff. I don't play Roblox that much, but I know that one of the ways that it's, you know, the, you know, its players tend to play is you hook up with your friends and you zip from game to game to game. And like, and a lot of the games are roll, these rolling experiences that just go on and on and on. Mm. A lot of them, which is exactly that old server culture and, you go in with your friends and, and you play and you do it until you've done with that and you go on to something else. Point is being that, that the game is subservient to the group and that's, yeah. that's what would be really good as opposed to let's, we're going to play Fortnite and that's, you know. Mm. But then, you know, I know that a lot of kids play Fortnite in a way that is about, um, having a laugh in the background rather than competing, you know, because mm. it does offer that kind of flexibility. Yeah. Um, right. And you're just chatting and playing and, you know, the fact that you're not always in a match and that matches are discrete kind of experiences is actually subservient to 
the session that you're in, which is kind of, you know, mostly spent in the lobby, I guess, waiting, but you're chatting mm. instead. But yeah, I think, I just think that anything that happens in Roblox, like other games should be doing too, you know, giving just a space for people to dick about is something that the mainstream media, you know, the mainstream industry doesn't really like, you know, the, the big shot games just doesn't really give mm. and, and, and players only, shoehorn it in where they can like in in Fortnite yeah yeah our next question comes from Zoe who writes hello pod friends after being in a bit of a gaming rut for the first few months of the year I recently spent several wonderful days with the tycoon slash dating simulator Max Gentleman Sexy Business <laughs> with its not safe for work DLC pack it's definitely one of those games that makes me glad I live alone to avoid any difficult explanations for untimely passers by this made me desire to question you thus. What's the most awkward, for whatever reason, gaming scene you've had someone catch you playing, and how did you explain it? My memory fails if this question has been asked before in your storied history, but hey, keep on pardon everybody, Zoe. Uh, I have an answer to this. I suspect I have told the story on the podcast before, um, but I... It bears the retelling. It may be bears the retelling. So, well, you know, the... So... I reviewed Grand Theft Auto V in the office at PC Gamer. And while I was playing the single player uh, for a review, we had a, we had some like uh, freelance uh, production editing support on the Mac. So production editors are the people who make the words fit and make you spell good and make word good, make word good. And, in, you know, uh, and often are the, 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 the reason magazines come out with a, with a sheen of polish. And in this case, in addition to, I think, I think at the time, long-standing PC gamer, uh, prodded, Tony Ellis was on holiday, I think. And we had someone in just to kind of cover for him. And this person was, uh, she had, she would not come from the games sphere. Um, you know, good prodded, diligent, kind of, you know, Good at doing the the details of the job, but definitely not super games literate, which can which can you know mean you know a bit more back and forth. And so, getting used to uh, this person coming over to my desk just to ask for clarification on something, it's like is this an error or is this another nonsense games word? This kind of thing. And but I was also sort of really freshly aware that um, because I was I had done a bunch of writing on the magazine already, and I was sort of settling into this kind of review sprint for the game that it really did look like what my job was, was to play Grand Theft Auto V all day. And this was making me self-conscious enough as it is. <laughs> um, and then I got to the mission in Grand Theft Auto V where you have to take a photo of someone having sex. Oh, Lord. Um, I think that's... I have fuzzy memory. It does. It is a sort of semi-graphic sex scene, I think. And you have to take a photo of it with a long... Like a, you know, a long lens camera... <laughs> From the bushes for some fucking Hauser reason. <laughs> Housery reason. <laughs> for Hauser reason. Yeah. And I was failing at this mission for some reason. And this person came over and just sort of needed my attention. And I was headphones on, like trying to get this fucking cam, like camera to poke out the bushes so I could take this photo. And it looked like I was playing a sex game. It just looked like I was playing a sex game at work. And I, and then, you know, I turned around and was like, hey, yeah, what can I help you with? And there's a stack of paper, you know, going through these edits, like, uh, yeah. And I just felt compelled to say, I'm reviewing this <laughs> while gesturing at my monitor. I'm reviewing this. And that, 
it didn't help, but it was... It's not enough because, because yeah. you still got the, well, these games, they're all just awful shit, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, and... Uh, but for, is this for Hauser reasons? Yeah, exactly. This is, uh, yeah, this is, it's the same one I was playing earlier. I was running people over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's not, it's not all. It's sexy. also the same one where I was just shooting hundreds of people. Yeah, and yeah. the, yeah, you know, I don't think, I don't think, uh, I had to explain the gratuitous torture sequence, but, like, God, talking about the shame, the little shame man, yeah. the little shame man who screams at you when you <laughs> catch sight of yourself. That was one of those moments. He was loud right then. I was, um, so, you know, my wife, plays games and I think she likes me we've known each other for quite a long time um, I still I just hate it when you know I think what was it most recent the most recent sort of experience was probably during Yakuza and it was some sort of was it I, thought, oh, I don't know some sort of sexy scene and like and she came through and I just Again, I had to give a reason. It's just, I didn't choose for this to happen. That's usually, my, that, this is what I tend to want to. I'm in a cutscene. I'm in a cutscene. I didn't choose. I'm watching for this. a sexy film this by is, accident. I meant this, because there is a shop you can go, you can go into a, a video shop in Yakuza Zero. Uh, it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a blue movies, um, mm. video shop and you can watch the blue movies. And so that, that's a choice and I can make a choice not to see them. And that's the choice I made. But sometimes, yeah, I have to tell my And she just rolls her eyes in not a, so much of the content as the my pathetic need to explain it away. Yeah. She knows, she, she, I guess she likes me and respects me enough mm. not to... Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, <clears throat> you know, she is accepted as we all should. It's too late for us. It's too late. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is how we are. Like, you know, the, this the is great... how we do. Like, I think there's a moment in every games professional's life where you have to internalise I'll never be a doctor or a fireman <laughs> I will never be able to go to a dinner party with non-colleague type people friend colleague type people mm. and feel, I will always feel ashamed <laughs> when I explain what I do yeah, yeah you definitely consider lying because it's just faster it's like ah oh, just uh, you know I work in tech or I work in IT fine like it's been good recently being able because it was always a trap previously. Nowadays, I feel more confident introducing myself like, oh, I work in games development. Mm. And that sort of is okay. Yeah, that's okay. It's a bit of a mystery thing. Yeah. But say, previously, the saying, oh, I'm a journalist, huge gamble. Yeah. What do you write about? Video games. Oh. oh. Huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, I'm a games writer. So do you work on games? Yeah. No. But you get the, or do you re- review the games? I always wonder whether that's a pitfall, whether it means, if I say yes, they say, They'll they'll privately think, pay to play games, whatever next. Uh, or maybe it means, oh, that's a part that I can understand that what people do. Yeah. There's nothing else. But the whole thing's like a that. trap, is the It's point. all a trap. Yeah. Um, wow. Um, <laughs> so this, this, is, this, is, this is the shame edition. Mm, exactly. Yeah, I was thinking about this. Um, the next question is kind of pertinent, actually. It comes from Alex, who writes... Um, not Not again. Um... Uh, hi, Crit and Crowbar. How much time um, in the average week do you spend playing games, keeping up with news, reading books, uh, social media working, podcasting, etc.? And how do you maintain the all-important work-life balance, an equally important leisure balance? That is, one task or thing 
That is that one tactical thing doesn't take all of your work, non-work time. Apologies for the terrible question structure and weird font change. Thanks, Alex. What was the font change? I, I, I think Google managed to squash that, so it wasn't present, but... Strips all character from And also in audio format strips it as well, so there's no dwell on it. So uh, I'm just going to come out and say it. This is a real tough challenge. I'm resolutely terrible at it. <laughs> in like several different ways. We're both... Uh, free, well, we're both, you know, yeah. being contract workers. We work from our homes. We work from home. Yeah, no, I'm, I, there's in, I think probably in every way I'm, it's possible to be bad at this. I'm bad at this. Um, so one part of that is track record now of turning hobbies into jobs. <laughs> um, the, through the medium of making podcasts about them and then worrying about the podcasts that you started. Um, also, like, I think there's a, I think doing remote work with a team is, I think, I wonder if you've experienced this, is particularly teams spread across multiple time zones, mm. uh, places tremendous pressure to be the, be responsible for switching off mm. that thing. Um, this is something I found a lot over the last couple of years is one of the low key benefits of an office is offices close. Um, most remote work just doesn't. It is always possible for me to load Slack on my phone and see and something that I might need to stuff to. That yeah, feel responsible for. And so, yeah, like the the there really isn't a clear end a lot of the time to the day, uh, unless you enforce one, and that's a discipline challenge that gets trickier and trickier. So it's yeah, it's a bit of a, a bit of a slightly oblique answer, but I don't have a good solution to this necessarily at the moment, other than trying to sort of. Um, maintain very specific hours. But then again, working in both games development and in comms, you're often exposed to situations that defy those hours. Yeah, yeah. Where it is both good to have the flexibility of working remotely and being able to be on my computer super quickly, and also uh, a little dangerous. You had a funny one as well in that the, 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 before, you know, for a long time you were writing, you know, as a journalist about games, you when you were playing games, you were effectively working and you yeah. had to play games. And, you know, obviously that's a pleasure, but then it's also something that has to fit in against all the other things in life. Mm-hmm. And and that's changed recently. I did wonder about how well you're converting, the, you know, whether you found that quite liberating that now you can play games. I have started to. It's interesting because, you know, if I were to tell the... The whole truth of my gaming activity over the last week is going to be, I played a bit of Destiny again. Played a fair amount of Hunt. I played a big old chunky help in a Mordhaul. The reason I played World of Horror, and I'm very glad I did, is because I knew I had this podcast coming up. Mm. And I knew that for various scheduling reasons, it was going to be necessary for me to be here. And it would be necessary for me to have something to talk about. And I'm very glad. And so I bought the game because it's like, good bet. If there's something I'll enjoy, and I'll have something to say about it regardless. And it's a treat that it's turned out to be something that I really like yeah. and it will return to. Um, and this, I mean, I don't want to like cry any crocodile tears about that because it's not a huge problem to have, but it does that. I haven't quite, I think thanks to the pod, actually I haven't quite escaped the zone where all games are to some extent work. Like I need to think about my opinion of them to some extent, but then again, I probably couldn't turn that off anyway. Cause like game design is what I'm interested in really. Yeah. And so I'm always assessing it. Um, I mean, that, that's like the pleasure and so. pain of, of doing your hobby, like working your hobby. I, I mean, I've, I think 
I mean, I have a young family, like increasingly aging family, but you know, <laughs> as as mm-hmm. happens with time. But no, they're you know, they're both in early teens now, and but that the fact that I've all had children for a long time that has made me have to you know I can't sit at my desk for long. You know, I get up, uh, I sit down on my desk at, at nine o'clock, and I get up at my desk at six o'clock, and I sort of resist any kind of worky stuff in the evening, unless it has to happen because it's a, an interview with someone on the West Coast, you know, mm-hmm. and that has to happen. You know, that's that's fine. I don't mind that at all. But but I I am quite controlled with my work time. My problem right now is that I'm not playing enough games. Like again, mm-hmm. like just 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 as you say, Chris, I did not. I played um, Dark Future. I've just been on my list to play. I probably would never have gotten around to it if it wasn't for the pod today because I hadn't played anything new in, you know, in the past week. So, and again, I'm very pleased I did. And that's not, you know, I didn't feel sort of aggrieved that I yeah. could do that remotely. But, um, uh, you know, I actually, I, I mean, I really appreciate the pod for making me do stuff that I probably would have done the easy, you know, overly comfort uh, you know, comfort kind of uh, pursuing approach to you know otherwise. Yeah, I wouldn't have tried something new. Is what I'm trying to say. So that's really cool. And that you know, I do need to keep playing things, new things, because I do write about games, and I've got to keep you know looking around. But yeah, I'd I'd actually like to then find find some more time to play games. Mm. I think I've tried to make sure I've, I, I I guard more precious through the time that I spend reading, and recently actually. I appreciate that run of movies was pretty mad, but like going to the cinema is really like one of my remaining like kind of genuinely switch off relatively sort of happy places where there's not a lot of work attached. Mm. Um, and I often find it's the first casualty of me getting busy mm. and I'm busy all the time. So I often miss movies that I really would like to have seen mm. and then catch up on planes to work things basically. Um, but actually recently being able to go to the movies a bit more has been a, been a, like a good, like, okay, that's a line in the sand. Let me try and protect that time a little bit. Um, although that said, and I think this is sort of something kind of this interesting about working in a creative field, everything is mm. material. Like it goes beyond like, I've got to have an opinion on this game. It's like, you know, I've got three different ideas for stuff right around my brain at the moment. Some of the things are projects that I'm working on actively. Some things are, just sort of brainworms that are sitting in there eating material that you feed it. So if I read a book or see a film I like, it's hard not to take away ideas that then turn into something a little bit further down the line work-wise. Like, it's all, like... Yeah. I don't know, like, what is not work? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, yeah, I agree. I agree. And I I think not work is probably boring when you do mm. an interesting job. Yeah, you know? and yeah, so, yeah... My least favourite phrase in marketing, good problem to have. It's <laughs> a good way to finish that one. Yeah. It's a good problem to have. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Everything is work and leisure, I guess. <laughs> cool. Um, speaking of someone's uh, work that we appreciate, uh, Kane has been in touch mm. with the great subject line, a goat is never late. He arrives precisely when he means to. Uh, to announce that the commun- the Crate and Crowbar Community Game of the Year uh, vote has ended and the results are now available on uh, Kane's site. Yes. And we'll put the link 
uh, in the show notes. Oh, the Easter eggs. I'm looking forward to these. Yeah, eggs. me too. So one caveat is, uh, can you attention to some corny features? Like you can, uh, you can mouse over a run at vote total, see the vote breakdown, things like this. I'm relying on my phone for this recording, so I can't actually do much of this stuff live or tinker with it, but I do encourage people to look. This is always tremendous work. I think you can see people's actual reviews this time. Um, there's, uh, well, there's two things to respond to here. One we can respond to quickly, and then I think we should take a look at the results of the community vote. Um, so, uh, Kane writes, since I don't like to shield the game of the years without offering a question as a tithe, what was your grunt of the year for 2019? Uh, and this is grunts that you have made. <laughs> I discovered last year that one of the grunts I make when standing up after an unhealthily long gaming session sounds exactly like, hey, a badoof. <laughs> it joins, hey, it joins, a, hey, yeah, this is a good diaphragm. Well, it's, it's hey with lots of wires. So I'm getting this like a, hey, a badoof. Um, it joins longstanding grunt, Abydos cartouche. Um, also with an elongated first syllable. So Abdosh cartouche, I guess. Um, or for shorter physical exertions, Orcus, which I typically follow with a rapidly whispered demon prince of the undead, but only if there's no one around. <laughs> Referring <laughs> back to our yeah. shame talk earlier. Yeah. To be honest, if, if like, if wearing my VR headset just involved me muttering like incantations, I'd actually be less embarrassed about that. Um, <laughs> Because there's not much emotive payload there. No one's going to assume that I was feeling something. I was just fucking ayaring it up. Um, uh, but only for the way around. Regards, Kane. Um, so, the uh, what is your kind of go-to grunt, Alex? Well, it, it appears increasingly it's just this quite a quiet sort of sighing grunt uh which is accompanied accompanies any kind of bending over almost any now mm. it's increasing like the more 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 and more physical acts minor physical acts are accompanied by this now and it's just like a <laughs> and that's that would be bending over to, to pick up a shoe mm. uh uh crouching down to pick up something else a child has left behind uh, uh, bending over like just it it's just yeah. anything I find that my go-to for almost any kind of like um, uh, either immediate exertion like sudden like lifting something heavy or just sort of uh, responding to a situation is a sort of uh, oof a doof like it's sort <laughs> of there's sort of multiple there's sort of steps to it um, like yeah um However, recently I found myself occasionally just wanting to admit like this sort of like short, sharp to my mind, almost like cubic noise, like, like sort of, ah, like just sort of like, I, I don't know why this happens. And I was in the kitchen <laughs> and made this noise and Pip was like, why, why did you make that noise? And I was like, I don't know. But it's like, um, I, I like to think of it as like a little, uh, a little light coming on in a window somewhere and then being extinguished immediately. Like, you know, like noise? an accidental, like, oh, do you want to go? No, I don't want to go in there. Yeah. Or like, you know, like a form of like, you know, a, 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 a beacon lighting up in the distance. So it's like your brain just sort of, the part of your brain just going, oh, hi, hello. Oh. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Or, or it's, it's, it's a sort of a, a single frame of a screen. <laughs> uh, let's have a look at what games the community voted for. <laughs> um, so there was the, we've got 10 runners up followed by the top 10. <laughs> uh, we don't have to have opinions on all of these, but you can make a noise. Okay. 
Um, in number, oh, hang on, in number 11 of the runners up. Okay. Is Risk of Rain 2. Uh, in number 10, Divinity Original Sin 2. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm going to allow, oh, wow. I'm going to allow sort of oh, wow. paraverbal. Yeah. I'd uh, say, yeah, disc jockey, disc jockey, paraverbal. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Uh, in number nine, Dicey Dungeons. Hey. Uh, yeah. Nice for Pip to be in this list. Yeah, true. <clears throat> in number eight, a short hike. Hey. Uh, uh, in number seven, Resident Evil 2 Remake. Uh, <laughs> I like Sims. Uh, in number six, Noiter. Uh, <laughs> I don't okay. know what to do then. No, I know. Seems fitting though. Um, in Fire Emblem, in number five. In Fire Emblem. In number five. In number five. Five Emblem, three houses. <laughs> <laughs> Two, two house, five emblem. <laughs> All Ooh. fire. Yeah. Don't need to make a noise for that. Uh, in number four, Destiny 2, Shadow Keep. Mm. Ah. Uh, in number three, The Outer World. Oh, God. Oh, fuck, Kane. Why have you done this to me? What's he done? I pressed a button and it's changed every word on the page to honk. <laughs> <laughs> this, is ha- this has happened live, by the way. <laughs> Uh, and you thought it didn't work on your son phone. Son of a bitch. Kane's, Kane's ensured that it works on every device. Got me again. Can you refresh? I'm trying. <laughs> uh, son of a bitch. <laughs> All right. Uh, in number three, The Outer Worlds. Uh, uh, obsidian one. <laughs> oh, the obsidian. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was caught out. In number two, Heaven's Vault. It was a plosive sort of old man smoking a pipe. Like a sort of there's a Popeye kind of element to that, which is a kind of oh, what a game we're playing with ourselves. Um, in number one of the runners-up, Untitled Goose Game. <laughs> I love. Came with a, a noise so ubiquitous that it just took over my fucking browser and derailed this podcast. And that noise is bop, everybody. Um, <laughs> That's what the goose say. Press triangle to bop. Bop. <laughs> Which sounds like a posh gentleman shouting for someone called Barbara. Bob. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, in number 10 of the best games of 2019, according to the Crow- and Crowbar community, uh, Return of the Obra Dinn. Oh, oh <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that one. No, we're, yeah. we're really... There's... We're at sea with that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in um, in uh, number nine, <laughs> Monster Hunter World. <laughs> <laughs> The game that is a cat. <laughs> oh, can you believe we both said one cup of tea? Uh, in number eight, <clears throat> losing my voice, Bubba is you. Bubba. In number seven, Apex Legends. I go for a Uh 
In number six, Red Dead Redemption 2. How does that? And number five, Slay the Spire. Uh, uh, a classic a classic noise Uh, in number four Sekiro Shadows Die Twice (laughs) in number three Control (laughs) pretty good you nailed it number two of the community's game of the year, Disco Elysium. Covet. Covet. Oh, we're doing much fun. Uh, in number one, in number one, oh, the community's game of the year, Outer Wilds. Oh. Nice. Both Wonder and Pipes. The two key nouns All the wonder. of that interactive video game experience. Good. I'm glad we did well, that. That was great. That was great. There's good a lot list. more on this website. It's a good list. They're good opinions. They're good takes. Oh, to clarify, uh, to clarify, the, the list is games played in 2019, uh, not games what does come out in 2019. Hence, yeah. Hence some apparent outliers. Incredible. 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 What else is incredible? <laughs> is the response to that sound Marsh made, which has had many great uh, responses. That little man was stuck in the muck. <laughs> and so many of you extended a helping hand. In such a funky manner. To to reach him. Um, no one knows why Marsh did this, but we're all glad that he did. Um, I still haven't really quite gauged his emotional response to 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 the celebrations of his being stuck in the mud. Um I think I think it's a lot of these things are forms of scream, Alex. <laughs> and sometimes it is simply pleasing to receive the echo. You know? <laughs> Each in our own way. But no echo has has resonated quite so strongly as the one that we have received oh. in our inbox um from Andy. Um, uh, to be honest, I almost don't want to set this up too much. No. In, in fact, I kind of want to l- just end mm. on it. So, do you know what? If you want to send us something for a future episode of this podcast of any kind, if you want to emit your own screen, you can do so by emailing us at questions at createandcrowbar.com. You can also tweet us at createandcrowbar or on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash createandcrowbar. Thank you, Patreon supporters. And also, sorry, patreon.com forward slash createandcrowbar. Discord, that's where most of the screaming happens. You can find the link on our website at createandcrowbar.com. Alex is available on Twitter if he must be. 24-7. Yeah. Rotational. R-O-T-A-T-I-O-N-A-L. Perfect. I think. I'm on Twitter at C Thurston, C-T-H-U-R-S-T-E-N, although I do not use the social media very much at all, although recently I did tweet once, I think, <laughs> about a film. Enjoy that. Um, to be honest, we could say thanks for listening or something. But the listening ain't over yet. But I would rather let Andy play you out. Thanks, Andy.
Thanks, Andy. Notorious stick in the mud, Marsh Davies. Just trying to get you to do the voice. Do the voice. Oh, no. Do the voice. Maybe later. Stick in the mud, Marsh Davies. Just trying to get you to do the voice. Do the voice. No. Are you angry with me? Yeah. Oh. Oh, no, I'm stuck in the book. I'm stuck, stuck in the book. Oh, no, I'm stuck in the book. I'm stuck, stuck, oh, no. Oh, no, I'm stuck in the book. I'm stuck, stuck in the book.